Welcome to the Baringa Energy Explainer podcast, a supplement to our Energy Innovators podcasts. Through our Explainer podcasts, we aim to explore at a more fundamental level a key theme discussed in one of our client-facing podcasts. We hope that this provides some valuable context and clarification of those more in-depth conversations with our clients for listeners who might not be highly involved in that area of the industry. Hello, today we'll be discussing the theme of temporary power. My name's Matt Hattam, I'm an analyst at Beringa, and today I'm joined by Shane Heffernan, who works in our generation and trading team. Shane, thanks for joining us for this Explainer podcast. If you could just briefly tell us about yourself and your background, that'd be great, and then we'll get stuck into today's topic. Sure, thanks, Matt. So I'm Shane Heffernan, and I am a manager in Beringa's energy and resources practice. I have a background of about five or six years in general strategy consulting and joined Baringa two years ago, during which time I've mainly worked on some form or other of renewable energy procurement, and in particular led the engagement with Agreco that looked at their energy decarbonisation strategy for their temporary power business. Fantastic. Thanks, Shane. So today, obviously, we're delving into the area of temporary power. First things first, then, could you summarise what temporary power is for someone who's not directly involved in this industry? So I guess if you think of permanent power as being like your power plant that's there sitting on a particular site for 30, 40, 50 years, and it's hooked up to the electricity grid in the country that it's in, getting it up and running and then decommissioning it at the start and end of its life is quite an involved exercise. Temporary power then is much more nimble, mobile. Let's roll it out within a matter of weeks or months. It's only there for a matter of weeks or months. uh, And then we can pack it up and ship it off somewhere else. So I guess that can be either hooked up to the grid or it can be completely in, in isolation and delivering power where there isn't any grid. Thanks, Shane. Could we then go into why temporary power is needed? What are some of its key applications? I think two broad applications. One is where the need is really temporary. So if you think about things like touring events, music festivals, sports events, where they need quite a lot of power that they are going to struggle to be able to draw from the grids. And it doesn't really make sense for them to sort of go through the process of trying to get it from the grid. And they therefore can benefit from a temporary solution that's only there for a matter of weeks or months. I think construction is another big example of that and some of the extractive industries as well. The other big need then is where you have very remote working locations. So mining and oil and gas extraction where the grid just isn't anywhere to be seen for miles and miles and miles, but they're quite power intensive. So again, having a a sort of a semi-permanent or temporary power plant to feed that mine or that extraction site is a big core industry for, for temporary power. Thanks, Shane. That's great. Just one point there that I found particularly worth noting is just the variety of different sectors that the you know, provision of temporary power plays a role in, you know, from events, uh, you've got mining, oil and gas, construction. Yeah. But yeah, I suppose then looking at those two sort of high level applications, you've got your temporary demand where the process of procuring from the grid is overly complex and you've got your uh, remote location. Obviously, you've got very restricted access to the grid. And on top of those, you have a lot of maintenance work that goes on in plants. So, you know, whether it's general manufacturing or chemical refineries, they will have maintenance periods where, for whatever reason, a particular part of their plant is shut off from accessing power or they need power in some area of the plant they don't normally have it. And that's another sort of big driver, I think, for temporary power. So maybe three reasons, actually, in in hindsight. So the the obvious next question then, I suppose, is, What solutions are typically used to provide temporary power? 
And to what extent, I suppose, does this vary depending on some of the different uses and applications you've just mentioned? So Kirsten's quite clear on this in the podcast. Diesel has been and continues to be king in this industry. It's a very well understood fuel with a very high energy density that just makes it very convenient for providing temporary power. You can get it everywhere. The generators that use it are a very mature technology. So it has historically served most of the industry. What has happened in the last sort of 10 years is gas has become a lot more prominent. So natural gas or be it available through a local grid network or shipped through as liquid natural gas is increasingly available across the world and can be a more cost effective alternative to diesel. That's great, thanks Shane. So we're saying it demands predominantly met by diesel and gas. Diesel's yeah. typically been preferred just due to its availability and, and high density, but gas is growing in its share, especially in those use cases where the need is, is longer term. Yeah, and, and to give you a flavour of those use cases, you, you get a lot of utilities in developing countries where population is expanding quite quickly, but the ability of the grid infrastructure to cope with that is not keeping pace. And quite often they will go to a temporary power provider and say, is there a solution you can give us to provide enough power for you know, a small town or a small city for the next two, three, four, five years while we reinforce the grid infrastructure that we need to properly serve those people over the long term? I mean, obviously, Shane, we're keen to look at temporary power through the lens of energy innovation. And you mentioned the prevalence of diesel and gas. What are some of the key decarbonising technologies associated with temporary power? Yeah, we, we had to look at these as part of the engagement with the Greco, and the key ones we came across were natural gas, as we've mentioned, is lower carbon than diesel, uh, and is sort of a good transition fuel if you're looking to save 15 to 20% on your emissions. But on top of that, then you need to think about solutions that are perform equally as well as diesel in terms of the energy density, you know, how much of it can you pack into one place, and therefore how easy is it to store distribution to these remote sites. So biofuels and biodiesels are a natural alternative to diesel or are the most popular alternative so far to diesel. And these fall into two categories. You've got what they call FAME biodiesel, which is essentially biodiesel made from vegetable oils. So it's made from rapeseed oil uh, where it's produced in Europe, for example. And then the other one is HVO biofuel, which is either made from aggregating up used oils from processing plants and from cooking or more controversially is made from palm oil. And these two, I guess, differ slightly in the sense that the FAME biodiesel is much more widely available, but it's a bit harsher on the generators that temporary power providers typically use. So it's a bit trickier to sort of manage their generator fleet and, to, uh, and it raises their operation and maintenance costs on it. HVO, by comparison, is a much cleaner transition from diesel and you can use the exact same fleet with the exact same sort of overheads on that fleet, but it is much less widely available at the moment. It's a real challenge to try to scale that up without resorting to palm oil, which has other environmental issues beyond decarbonisation. Are there any other fuels uh, we, might, we might consider when we talk about decarbonising technologies? I think over the longer term, you can consider what is termed e-fuels or fuels that are synthetically produced using renewable electricity. So in the same, the big one that is talked about at the moment is hydrogen, which could end up being the, the fuel that you transition from natural gas to. 
that though is probably a bit more longer term in, in that you need a, a supply infrastructure around it which just doesn't exist yet across any any market and needs to exist given that it's quite it's not very dense you can't really realistically store it on site or distribute it through lorries you then sort of you could have e-fuels that are liquid you could synthetically produce diesel through electricity but again that's i, I think that it just isn't economical at the moment. It won't be for a number of years, but probably is the end game. And I know I think there's a lot of focus on that in aviation and other transport vectors, which, to be honest, are kind of a themselves are as much of a driver of where temporary power is going to go as temporary power is, because they they use these fuels more than temporary power does. So, so I suppose we're talking then biofuels and the most popular of which will be the FAME biofuel and HVO biofuel. And then you have your e-fuels as well, which come in both gaseous and liquid forms. I think then in order to understand the, the commercial viability of some of these decarbonizing sources of fuel, it's probably worth spending a bit of time just understanding the temporary power business model. What does a typical temporary power business model look like, Shane? And what are some of the key drivers of value for participants in this market? So again, like, like I described the temporary power market, I'll start by almost contrasting it to the permanent power market. In permanent power, you have an upfront investment in an asset that then is typically owned and operated by the same person and utilized by the same person or entity over its lifetime. Granted, it may get bought and sold a couple of times. With temporary power, it's much more like renting scaffolding for your house or a forklift or something. It's it's plant that is owned by a company and rented out to many, many times over to different entities in different places. And I guess a couple of key contrasts with the permanent power market is there are different expectations on your rate of returns. It is typically seen as a more profitable market. And, and then there are different sort of critical success factors for returning those profits. So there's a challenge there around how generic or modular you can design your package that you offer people so that you can serve as many customers as possible. Then how long the products last for is, is also critical. You know, the, these are typically bought up front and then used over a life cycle of maybe eight to 15 years. And, you know, most of the sort of cost on your on your profit and loss account is on the depreciation of those assets. So how long you can make them last has a huge impact on your bottom line. And this has big implications then when you think about switching from diesel to other technologies, uh, such as batteries, which have a much less proven asset life. And then finally, the operational model is important for larger players as well. How efficiently you get these assets to and from your customers uh, and how efficiently you maintain them once they're in-house. I suppose then we're talking about three key drivers of value here. So the first would be almost the utilisation of the asset and, and how, how can you serve as many customers as possible using as few products as possible. The second would be your asset lifespan and how you can obtain value during throughout the lifespan of the asset. And then finally, it's the efficiency with which you can deliver that asset to the consumer and all those additional operational considerations. I guess on top of that, you have a strategic yeah. choice as a player in temporary power, whether you want to be very transactional or you, whether you want to offer a very bespoke service. So a transactional player might just do your sort of bargain basement diesel generators, plug and play, very little advice around it. Whereas, you know, the sort of other end of the spectrum is, well, 
if we want to make more profits and we want to sort of scale our business more, we need to think about what advice or services can we offer on top of the basic temporary power provision through the generator. I guess that's where organizations like Agreco try to specialize on, on sectors where that is really a value add. So things like uh, major events where, frankly, I guess the custom requirement is very complicated. They don't just need power provided, they need it to be moved around and managed quite a lot. So there's, there's an extra almost fourth value component there. Just sticking with Agreco here, you know, I think a good way to end this explainer, just because the role of the energy transition is certainly an area that Carson and Alesh cover in, in their discussion. It'd just be great to get your view on what do you think are the main challenges and considerations for companies like Agreco as they transition towards low carbon fuel sources for providing temporary power? I think one big challenge they have is how valid is the rental model in some of the areas that they want to play in. I think the mining sector is a great example where a lot of mining companies are looking at doing microgrids where they're in remote areas, places like Australia and parts of, of Africa and Latin America that have really good solar resource and have mines in really remote locations. And, and therefore, economically, it makes sense to do a microgrid. Just going back there, would you just be able to explain what you mean when we talk about microgrid? So a microgrid is essentially a self-sufficient power system that isn't often isn't hooked up to the main electricity network infrastructure in a country. So an example might be a small plant of solar panels with some batteries to sort of manage and store that energy and, and all the kind of uh, network and cabling around that to supply that energy. So we're talking about, you know, a, a mini power system capable of powering a single mine or a single village or, for instance, a single university. They can pop up in both remote and familiar locations. Sounds like there's so much potential here in this area of temporary power. And yeah, definitely this theme is, is explored in, in some more detail in, in the podcast um, mm. with Carsten. Shane, look, this has been a, a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much for, for joining us on this explainer and for giving us all your great insights on temporary power. If you've just listened to our explainer podcast on temporary power, why not take a listen to our recent discussion with Carsten Renke-Collon, Director of Future Technologies at Greco. We have a conversation with Carson around some really interesting areas in the temporary power space and the way in which Agreco is adapting its business to move away from diesel towards cleaner fuels for temporary power. You can listen to this conversation by following the link in the bio. Please hit the subscribe button to keep up to date with our latest podcast releases and hear more from Beringa and our energy innovators. If you have a question or a comment about the podcast or would like to learn more about Beringa, please email us at energypodcast at or visit our website linked in the podcast bio.